This is The Every Lawyer, presented by the Canadian Bar Association. This episode of Conversations with the President is proudly brought to you by CVIA Lawyers Financial. Visit lawyersfinancial.ca to learn about exclusive financial solutions to help you build and protect wealth. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with the President, a podcast series about diversity and inclusivity in the legal profession. I'm Canadian Bar Association President Ray Adlington. I'm a cisgendered white man who became a successful lawyer without having to face discrimination based upon my gender identity, sexual orientation, race, or religion. This podcast is my way of learning about those who have had to face these kinds of obstacles, and maybe identifying ways the CBA can help the profession move toward a more inclusive future. This is part one of two episodes where I will be talking with two women who have risen to the top of Canada's federal political spectrum and lived to tell the tale. Anne McClellan was born in 1950 on a farm in rural Nova Scotia. When she arrived at Dalhousie University 18 years later, her eyes were open, and it seems they never looked backward. She earned her bachelor's and law degrees at Dalhousie, then went on to earn a Master of Laws degree at King's College London. She spent 20 years in academia, teaching law at the University of New Brunswick and the University of Alberta before jumping into politics. She spent her entire political career as a cabinet minister, health minister, and then justice minister with Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, and then deputy prime minister to Paul Martin. She's currently a senior advisor with Bennett Jones in Edmonton, while serving on the boards of some large Canadian public corporations. She's also on the board of directors for the Institute of Research on Public Policy, as well as serving as chancellor of her alma mater, Dalhousie University. Welcome to the podcast, Ms. McClellan. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. I want to start by understanding a bit more about your background. What was it about the law that appealed to you? Well, you have to remember that I am of a certain age. I was born and brought up on a dairy farm outside Truro, Nova Scotia. I remember actually when we got our first TV. And (laughs) I immediately became interested in Perry Mason and Dragnet. Although my father Uh. thought Dragnet was not appropriate for me at my tender age to be watching. But Perry Mason especially, I think, and I don't mean to be flippant about this in any way, I think I very quickly came to appreciate, in some part through those television shows, that the law was a way to deal with injustice or right a wrong. And then growing up as um, a teenager through the late 60s, what was that the beginning of? Feminism, Martin Luther King Jr., Robert F. Kennedy, uh, the civil rights movement. Um, In a way, the law was such an integral part of that, either directly or indirectly, in terms of people using the courts, uh, people challenging police power, people looking for, you know, the early days of feminism, you know, the right for women to be allowed to go to law school, uh, the you know, the right for them to be treated as equals in law school, a whole, a whole, I think, range of, of rights-based movements were happening in the late 60s, early 70s, when I was in high school, when I first went to Dell, and then in 1971, when I went to law school. So from an early age, understood that there was power in relation to the law 
for both good and bad, but there was a power, there was an opportunity to use the law to change things, whether it was for women, whether it was for African Americans or African Canadians or others. And that's what appealed to me about the law. We did not achieve gender balance in law schools during that era. No. I'm wondering who were your women role models at that time? Well, keep in mind, I went to law school at Dalhousie in 1971. That was the year, and you can track this across North America, where you started to see the numbers of women going to law school, gaining entry to law schools increase. Why was that? In part, that was because women were going to university in the late 60s, in part because of the emerging feminist movement. Women were going to university in significantly large enough numbers. They were graduating from their undergraduate programs in 7071 and deciding they wanted to go to law school. So the year ahead of me at Dalhousie, I think, had four women graduates in it. My class of 1971, there were 25 women out of 150. That was a major Hmm. and sudden increase increase in the number of women. And you could track that across law schools in North America. And there was a reason for that. And since that time, women have just continued to go to law school in larger numbers, which is why now in many law schools here and in America um, and in the UK, women, in fact, are well over 50% of an entering law school class. There weren't that many female role models. It came later when Madam Justice Bertha Wilson, who, by the way, is a Dalhousie law grad, uh, when Madam Justice Wilson was appointed as the first woman to the Supreme Court of Canada, I think that was an important moment for a lot of, of women. It wasn't so much about having iconic role models because there weren't very many. It was more about, I think, seeing how the law was being used to further, for example, women's rights issues, matrimonial property issues, for example, the famous Murdoch case out of Alberta, and and things like that. And, and seeing that, uh, you know, you could use your legal knowledge to um, try and influence elected officials, uh, become elected officials, uh, yourselves to, you know, change human rights legislation and, and things like that. So I think really from the beginning of the early 70s, well, women started to graduate from law school in large numbers, 74, 75, and so on. And I think from that point on, you start to see, you know, women, uh, and not without a fight, mind you, but women get good articling positions, women being kept on in, in law firms, uh, slowly and still very slowly today, women becoming partners and becoming managing partners uh, in law firms and, and so on. But I think probably for a lot of women, less about iconic role models who were women, more about taking on board the power of the law to make social change. After you finished law school, what were the early years of your career like? Well, I went to graduate school at King's College, University of London. Then coming back from graduate school, a significant number of us decided that we didn't want to practice. We wanted to teach law. And that's what I did for the next 17 years before I went into politics. So what led you to that choice, to teach rather than practicing law? 
I I knew probably early on that I I just didn't want to practice law. You know, going back to my Perry Mason reference, I suppose if I did, I would have been a litigator, right? Not a solicitor. I just thought, no, you know, I like the idea of teaching. And my particular area of interest initially was constitutional law and then going back again to the whole question of human rights and civil liberties. So the courses that I taught for my entire teaching career, all 17 years, contracts, great first year course, constitutional law uh, and civil liberties, human rights. After the break, there are still systemic barriers because of the nature of the way the law is practiced that prevent women from becoming partners. Today's financial tip of the day is presented by CBIA Lawyers Financial. When it comes to saving and investing for retirement, it's important to keep an eye on the fees that you pay because over time, they may or may not significantly affect the growth of your portfolio. Lower fees mean that more of your money is being invested. A 1% decrease in investment fees can result in an up to 20% increase in your assets by the time you retire. And low fees are important in retirement as well to ensure that you have access to more funds in your portfolio. In an environment of low interest rates and modest investment gains, every basis point matters. The Lawyers Financial Investment Program operates with very low investment management fees, but there's even more good news for CBA members. That's because, as a CBA member, you will save an additional 40 basis points off the already low fees. And you can combine this offer with volume discounts for a potential savings of up to 60 basis points. Check out the many benefits of the only investment program available exclusively to Canada's legal community at lawyersfinancial.ca investments. Right. And how do you find uh, law firms such as Bennett Jones treat women now as compared to when you were a young lawyer and what you would have observed from afar? Well, I did article. I was the first female articling student at a law firm in Halifax, a small firm. Um, and look, I was the first. I was the first tenure track female professor at the University of New Brunswick before I moved to the University of Alberta in 1980, where there were a number of women on staff, too. And then I was the third at the time. Um, I, I was treated fine by my principal, Lloyd Caldwell. He was a lovely man. I think there were times they didn't quite know what to make of me or do with me, but uh, it all turned out. Um, but, you know, I think if, if you look at a big law firm like Bennett Jones today, uh, I would say, you know, I am in the Edmonton office. Our big offices are in Toronto and Calgary. Uh, but I would say, based on my experience, half, at least half the articling students are women. Um, they seem to enjoy a position of equality with their male articling student colleagues. Um, I see you know, no differential in terms of the number of men and women articling students who are kept on by the firm. Um, the firm um, has obviously maternity leave policies for both our female and male lawyers and our female and male staff. There, there are still systemic barriers because of the nature of the way the law is practiced that prevent women from becoming partners in the, and I hear I'm not talking about Bennett Jones, but I think if you look at the numbers across the country and beyond, women often decide to pursue another aspect of, of 
practice or their lives. You know, if you're out six, seven years and you're an associate, that's about the time people start to be considered for a partner in most cases. Um, you know, uh, that person made uh, that female associate may also be thinking with her husband, partner, spouse, uh, that they would like to start a family. And certainly uh, I see that here at Bennett Jones. And, uh, you know, those uh, women will, uh, some of them come back to the law firm and, uh, or some of them, uh, some of them don't. That doesn't mean they're leaving the law. They may go in-house. They may work, uh, you know, at a, at a uh, research position, um, whatever the case may be. Uh, but, I mean, obviously here at Bennett Jones, we would like as many of them to come back as possible. And I think the firm tries to make that comfortable uh, as, as possible. And then we have, you know, lawyers who uh, will leave the practice. They, they may have a couple of children. Once those children reach a certain age, um, they come back. They come back full-time or they come back half-time. Um, but I think we have to look. It's not about any individual law firm. It's about the nature of the practice of law and how that needs to change so that both men and women can have fulfilled lives if they, if they want to practice and stay associates for, uh, for their careers great. If they want to become partners, different kinds of partners. Not everybody has to be an equity partner. Um, if they want to uh, pursue other aspects of if they want to go in-house with a private sector client, for example, or something like that. And uh, I'm just wondering what law firms such as ours and others across the country can do to take sledgehammers to these systemic barriers so that women can advance into partnership and into leadership roles within these organizations? Well, I wouldn't say that there are uh, – women do advance into partnership. I mean, you know, I look around at Bennett Jones. We have a significant number of female partners and more all the time. But I do think – and it's not for me. I don't practice traditional law. Um, but I think it's it, – what I'm interested in is that people are looking at the question in terms of the, what uh, what is the – what does it mean to practice law in the world in which we live today? And how? what are the different ways in which we can practice law meeting the needs of clients? What are our clients' expectations in terms of the practice of law? And I think, uh, you know, different law firms, different sizes, different ambitions may uh, have different answers to some extent to to those questions. But I think what's important is that people acknowledge that they are important questions and that they are being taken up in the right places uh, so that if change is required, that change takes place. And where would you suggest those places are that these questions should be raised and debated? I think at all levels within law firms, but certainly with your executive committees, your management committees, if one sees a, a, a significant number of talented young uh, associates leaving one's law firm, I think it's time to ask a question. Why is that happening? Why are we losing this talent? Because if you look at law schools, uh, women generally are, are over 50% in, in not all, but uh, many law schools these days. Certainly across the country, that's true, yes. They tend to win a lot of the prizes. So that means they're really smart people. And law firms, if we're going to serve our clients well, cannot 
that lose that productive capacity because those women will find other jobs in other places. And, uh, you know, I, uh, they may be uh, research associates somewhere. They may be in-house counsel. They may be entrepreneurial and running businesses. Uh, they may be doing and become clients. Um, so I think people are very clearly acknowledging the fact that um, that aspect, that huge part of the productive professional capacity in law uh, must be nurtured and supported. And uh, you want to keep those people. You don't want to lose them. I mean, you've made an investment in them, an investment yes. as an articling student and then as an, an investment for six, seven years as a an associate. Um, why would you fritter away? Why would you let walk out the door that significant investment in talent? No, absolutely agree. It's a very difficult thing to watch when uh, you are a partner in one of these firms to see that happen. Which is why, you know, I think those who are partners and on the management committee or executive committee, whatever a firm might have, um, they need to seriously address these issues. But they need to be listening to the articling students. They need to be listening to the associates. My gosh, I graduated from law school 70, uh, in 1974. That's a long time ago. I hate to admit it. Our 45th reunion is this fall. <laughs> well, I hope you're coming back to Halifax for that. Oh, de definitely. Uh, things things have changed. The lives of, of millennial, Gen Xers even, but millennials and those coming after the millennials, those lives are going to be lived very differently than mine. I don't know how yes. old you are, but very differently than mine for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, including technology, um, but just the progress that we've made in society in terms of how we view each other and treat each other uh, and the expectations of each other. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think firms, if they're smart, are, are talking and listening uh, to anyone out there and their staff as well. Let's not forget about the paralegals and let's not support about, nice. uh, forget about the secretarial staff and the skill sets they're coming out of schools. Uh, with and what their ambitions are and you know so important I think to think of teams uh, you know most things are done today not by you know the lone wolf but done by teams and those teams are made up of lawyers some practice some don't uh, paralegals staff of different kinds and I think everybody has to be part of the conversation Yes, and that's an interesting perspective that you offer because I know that you've uh, seen so much change over the course of your professional okay, career. Okay, don't make me sound so old. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, you know, you're not dealing with like Abraham Lincoln here. No, no, not at all. But you have seen a lot of change <laughs> over the course of your professional career. True. So I'm wondering what the differences are that you've seen in the practice of law from 1974 until today in in sort of the professional world. Oh, well, the professional world generally, not only in law, but more generally, is first of all the number of women who are, are saying, you know what? I can be an astronaut. I can be the prime minister. I can be governor general. I can be the chief justice of Canada, 
right? Uh, I was part of the government. I was Minister of Justice, and when Mr. Cretchen and I, it was his appointment, obviously, made Beverly McLaughlin the first female Chief Justice of Canada. That was a very proud moment for Mr. Cretchen and me and for the whole government. We live in a world now, yes, there are still barriers, and, and you know, there are still issues around equal pay for work of equal value, certainly in the United States, a little less so here, but still an issue here. I was in the UK just recently, and same issue there on, on the pages of the paper around equal pay for equal work. Yes. Um, so I'm not painting a picture that's all rosy, not by any means, especially if you work in the service sectors. Uh, but um, I do think that uh, young women have role models in every area today, and they can look around and they can say, I can do that. I can do that. I want to do that. And I will do that. And there are enough of us out there now who can support those young women in their ambitions, whether it's a teacher in grade school or a professor in a university or in politics or in business. Now, the private sector, we have a long way to go in terms of getting more women CEOs, more women on boards. But, you know, and the progress has been way too slow, which is why governments are starting to get involved, more so in Europe and the UK than here. But even here, province, a province like Quebec and the federal government, you know, looking at why there aren't more women uh, sitting on, on major corporate boards in this country. Um, so it's happening, and it's too slow for most of us, especially those of us who thought the world would have made more progress when we started at this yes. all those years ago. But um, it's happening, and I think uh, there's enormous reason for optimism. Very good. You've had a fascinating professional career. I'm wondering what, for you, were the highlights? Highlights? Well, I guess highlights being elected as a member of parliament in 1993, serving for 12 and a half years in the government of Canada, uh, being the attorney general, minister of justice and attorney general, being uh, the deputy prime minister of Canada. Uh, those would be highlights for someone who believes in public service. Um, other highlights, I guess, going to Dalhousie University, being able to go to law school. We celebrated our 200th birthday last year, as you would know, as a university. People would say, you know, what did Dal do for you? What did Dal mean to me as chancellor, as a graduate? Dalhousie made the rest of my life possible. Well, very good. I appreciate that. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I greatly appreciate it. It's been a very insightful conversation. My pleasure. Maybe I'll see you sometime in Halifax. If you have something to say about discrimination in the legal profession and how you overcame it, please drop us a line because we'd like to hear your story. You can reach us on Twitter at CBA underscore news, on Facebook, or on Instagram at, at Canadian Bar Association. You can hear this podcast and others on our CBA channel, The Every Lawyer, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes. And to hear us in French, tune in to our Juriste Branche channel. Please listen for us next time when we'll be talking to CBA members who have been there, experienced that, and have stories to tell about it. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.